Good morning, God's wonderful people. Welcome to another episode of Logos on Thanos, where we give focus to expressing the life of the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the art. The Word of God is alive. Today, my friends, I want to remind you that it's a beautiful day to give God thanks. David says, give thanks unto the Lord for he is God and his mercy endure it forever. His mercy endures forever. You experience the mercy of God every single day of your life. Throughout the day, you're experiencing the immeasurable mercy of God. Let's give him thanks today for the mercy he has brought our way today and for the day to come. Let today be a day filled with thanksgiving and praise to our God. He who is above you deserves your respect and your submission. Today we continue our study on Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 31. In this study we are contemplating the warrior's identity. And today we are going through a section of our study that relates to the warrior's assignment. Your identity, my friend, is wrapped up in your assignment. That which you are commanded and commissioned to do is a depiction of your identity. You can find out what your identity is by assessing and analyzing your assignment, your God-given assignment. And in this text that we are contemplating, we are we have we have seen that it deals with who man is and also what man is supposed to do. We have not yet started contemplating the sec the third um, decoration because there are three decorations given here by God in creating man. And as such, we are analyzing all three. We have analyzed the first already. We are presently analyzing the second. And we are presently going through the fourth part of this five-part decoration. And so we are looking into this to see what, what is man's assignment. And we have seen so far that man's assignment is to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth. And now we are looking at his assignment to subdue the earth. We are analyzing the word that is translated subdue. And this word, we are looking at it through its letters, looking at each of the letters, and then in the end to come recombine those letters to give a fuller understanding of what it really means. When we have completely analyze these letters, we'd be better able to explain what this word means. This word kavash, which is translated subdue, is the word of concern at this point in time. It's spelled with a kaf, a bait, and a shin. As we analyze these letters, we will, we will see and we will begin to unfold the very essence of this word and what it means to subdue. We are presently looking at the very first letter, and that's the calf. We have already looked at the first part of our analysis, and today we'll be looking at the initiation and gematria of this letter. When we talk about the gematria of a letter, what is it that we are referring to? 
when we speak of the initiation of a letter, we are referring to the first place that this letter is used in the Torah to begin a word. So the first place a letter is used in the Torah to begin a word, that word will teach us about that, the letter. So let's look at the calf to see where it's used for the first time in the Torah to begin a word, because that word will teach us about the calf. The first place in the Torah where the, the calf is used to begin a root word is in Genesis 1 verse 16. In that text, it says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. The word used here that begins with a kaf is the word kokavim. Now, kokavim is the Hebrew word for stars. And this word is the word that begins with a kaf. The lemma form of this word or the root of this word is the word kavash. Now, kavash is the word for star. So stars is kokavim because that's a plural form. So here it says God made the stars. Now stars are above us. It's that which is above. Once again, this is reiterating the concept that we looked at in our previous episode of the calf. That is that which is above, which also points to the higher authority or the highest authority. When we speak of stars, we're speaking of someone who is the best at something or who has achieved the highest height of something. For example, in a movie, we say the star of the movie. That is, we're speaking of the main character, the person around who the entire storyline revolves. That person is regarded as the star of the movie because they are not just the pinnacle, but the center point of the entire storyline. So the star, it speaks here of that which is above, and it also speaks to the highest authority. This reminds me of a very famous battle path passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 10. In this passage, Paul is talking about the woman wearing a covering on her head or wearing a head covering. Or, so in this verse, he says, for this cause are the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. In other words, Paul is saying she must have a symbol of power or rather authority on her head because of the angels. Now, what Paul is talking about here is the covering. So she wears a covering as a sign of her submission to an authority that is above her. So the, this here, Paul is reiterating that this covering is a symbol of her submission to authority. So the, the calf gives this idea as well, and it reminds me of this. The crown, my friend, is a symbol of that which is the highest authority. Just as the star symbolizes that which is the highest point above and over man, the crown is a symbol of that which is the highest authority. In any country where there's a monarchy, can you find an authority that's above the king? No. So he who wears the crown is the highest authority. He who is crowned is the highest authority, is the final authority in that land. But the crown also points to the fact that this individual who wears the crown is also 
giving indication that there's a higher authority than that individual and that the crown upon his head is not as a result of him and his intellectual prowess. It's a choice from authority that is higher than him because a crown is not taken and placed on the head. The crown is given. Also, once again, indicating a higher authority. Now, let's look at the gematria of the calf. Every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. This numerical value allows for the possibility of analyzing these letters and words on a deeper level. This art is what is called gematria. So, what's the numerical value of the calf? The numerical, the numerical value of the calf is 20. So, let us look at this number through the Hebrew word for 20. Now, this is how we're going to analyze the number 20. We're going to analyze it based on its numerical value. All right? So, let's look at the, word, the Hebrew word for the number 20. The Hebrew word for 20 is esrim. It is spelt with a hyen, which is 70, a sin, which is 300, and resh, which is 200, and a yud, which is 10, and a mem, which is 40. Giving a total gematria of 620. Those, this number is very important and interesting and it relates to scripture. This number has several connections. But let us look at a few that will reveal some truth about the calf. The first connection we look at is the word keter. keter. It has the same gematria of 620. It's spelled the calf, which values 20, a tav, which is 400, and a resh, which is 200. Keter. Keter is a word that also has the value of 620. So even in its gematria, calf is a crown. Not just in its form and shape alone, but even in its gematria, the calf is a crown because it has the same geometrical value as the word for crown. Mm. So not just in its shape. In its geometrical value, the calf is a crown. So, we have already established that the crown represents that which is above the intellect. So, here we have to understand that the calf represents that which is above man's intellect and thought. It also represents that which is above man, that which is higher than him, that which is outside of his competence or the competences of his intellect. A crown is not conferred on an individual because of intellectual prowess but rather because of genealogical connection and signed by the highest authority of Jehovah. In Romans 13 and verse 1, it reads, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now my friends, learning this and understanding this should make you understand that there is no man who sits in authority who is not placed there by God. All authority and all power proceed from God. Whatever power there may be, they are ordained by God. God put them there. So every crown is 
ordained by God. So it's not conferred on an individual because of his intellectual prowess. It's not conferred upon, upon him because of the intellectual prowess of man, nor of thought. But it's sometimes because of his genealogical connection. He's related to the crown. He's from the royal family. Or it may be through other uh, means that they use to, 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 to decide on their king. But it's never normally because of a person's intellectual prowess. But we also understand that the person who becomes a king or wears a crown is placed there by God. This, my friend, should tell us that as believers in this earth, we are supposed to, as Paul says, subject ourselves to the highest, higher authority, the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. Whatever power there is, it is the instrument of God. Even the wicked king is the instrument of God. Now tell me this. If the devil is the instrument of God, which king can there be upon this earth that is not the instrument of God? Every authority is from God and every king who sits on a throne is the hand of God, is the instrument of God. I will dare say is a puppet of God. But we know God don't really use puppets. He allows man to make this decision. So he doesn't use us as robots. But we ultimately can only do what God permits. In other words, God will allow us to make our own choices. And we have to face the consequences of those choices. But there are, there are laws that would restrict the advancement of our choice especially when it goes against this plan. Now, when your choice bring you into starch opposition to the plan and purpose of God, God is going to act. The law demands that God acts. And God is not a lawbreaker. He will always act within the confines of his law. And so, for those of us who would say sometimes, why doesn't God stop this? Why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't he prevent suffering? Why doesn't he prevent that? If God prevents these things, my friend, it therefore means that he has to take from us the freedom to choose. He has to take away from us the freedom to choose because everything you see in life, the suffering, the pain, the anguish, the killing, the murders, it is all coming back to the decisions of man. The murderer decides to kill. It is his decision. And if God is going to prevent some of these atrocities that is happening in the world, he will have to take away from man that freedom to choose. Evil exists because man choose to be evil. These atrocities exist because man choose to do them. It's our choice, my friends. So we have to learn that every authority is the hand of God. Another connection of this words, gematria, is that this gematria of 620 connects to the 620 laws of the Jewish people. There are 613 commandments and seven rabbi, rabbi, rabbinic laws. And this totals 620. So there are 620 laws of the Jewish people. It is, you see, it is also said that, you know, 20 being... 10 and 10. It represents first the 10 utterances with which God created the world. And secondly, the 10 commandments. Together they become the calf. As a matter of fact, this belief or this 
analogy is supported by a statement given in Numbers 7 and verse 86. In Numbers 7 and verse 86, it reads, The golden spoons were twelve, full of incense, weighing ten shekels apiece. After the shekel of the sanctuary, all the gold of the, uh, of the spoons was an hundred and twenty shekels. Now, that statement, reading in the English translation doesn't give any indication to what I've just said to you that there's 10 and 10 representing first the 10 authorities of creation and then the 10 commandments. Together they become the calf. There's a statement here in this text, in this verse of number 7 that literally speak this forth. When it's read in the Hebrew, it reads 10, 10 is the calf. That phrase is a phrase that is translated weighing 10 shekels apiece. That phrase is a phrase in the Hebrew which literally says 10, 10 is the calf. In the Hebrew, you'll see that statement written literally that way. 10, 10 is the calf. Or rather, the is is not there, but you'll see 10, 10, the calf. That's what you literally see in the text. And that's lit literally how it reads. So it is believed that this statement here supports this idea that 10 and 10 represents the calf. The calf is 20. Together, this 10 and 10 represents the calf. And this gives forth the belief, my friends, and the, the, the understanding that it is a 10 and another 10 that makes this up. So it is declaring to us that the Ten Commandments goes together with the Ten Utterances of Creation. And these are what is man's crowning, uh, well, man's crown that's given to him by God. Now, we should also note that there are 620 letters in the Ten Commandments. 620 letters in the Ten Commandments. Therefore, the Ten Commandments are the crown with which Jehovah crowns his people. Isn't that so? These Ten Commandments are the crown with which God crowns his people. Also showing that the Ten Commandments is not a matter of man's intellect, but above it. There are many who would want to find reasons and want to find uh, cause to show that the, the, the Ten Commandments, it doesn't really make much sense to them. It may, it may not make sense to, to, to us as man, but because this is because it's above our intelligence. It's not from our intelligence. These were not put together by man. The Ten Commandments is not the product of man's mind or the product of man's intellect. It's above him. It's, a, it's not a matter of It's above that. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, these are eternal principles, not crafted by man's intellect. So we are above that. So your intellect will never be able to really decipher through and totally go to the very depth of these commandments. We can ask questions and it will answer our questions. You can find the answers of your questions in these Ten Commandments. As you question them, they will answer your questions. But then sometimes you want to dabble into areas that is outside the confines of our intelligence. The intelligence of the commandments are greater than ours, and we must give acknowledgement to that. We must recognize that it's a higher mind 
that produces these Ten Commandments. The basic construct, my friends, of that which crowns man is the ten utterances of creation. We are looking at three of them. Together with the Ten Commandments, they are the crown. Ten, ten is the calf. The ten utterances of creation and the Ten Commandments are the crown of man. This is the crown of the warrior. This is the said peace. So if man understand the ten utterances of creation that God made and, and, and the ten commandments, if he lives by them and abides by them and goes to them and study them and understand how he applies them to his life, he's a king in his domain. You exercising your dominion is as a result of you understanding these two tens. As a result of you living by these two tens. Because there are secret, secrets in the ten utterances of creation. God didn't just utter these ten utterances for utterance sake. They are a template to all we create as well. They are an example to us as to all we create as well. Because as the image of God, we are creators of our realities. And if we follow suit, just as God goes through and give these 10 utterances of creation, we follow suit with that. We will show forth ourselves as creators of, real, of our own realities. We have to take that responsibility, my friends, to live by the principles God declares in these 10 utterances and also these 10 commandments. And we'll see our life being lived on a higher plane and on a higher level. This is your crown. The ten utterances of creation and the ten commandments are your crown. Live your life by them. Master these. And you will be king. He who is above you deserves your respect and your submission. My friend who is above you, Yehovah is above you. He is above you in all things. He is above you in every single way. You show this submission and your respect for Yehovah based on how you treat the authority that's above you. All authority comes from him. All authority exists because of him. So all authority that is here is an extension of the hand of God, is the instrument of God. You are required to submit and respect all authority because they are the extension of God's own authority. How do you deal with those above you, my friends? It must be by respect and submission. And in so doing, you are showing forth your respect and submission to God. David says in Psalm 99 verse 5, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy worship at the lord's footstool and show this forth by your submission to the authority that surround you he who is above you deserves your respect and authority not because of the person sitting on the seat but because of god who sits on the throne yehovah is your king father we give you thanks we give you praise we give you honor lord you are our God and blessed be your name. 
we give our hearts our lives and all that we are to you in totality right now for you to use us oh god as you please we surrender our lives our hearts and all that we are to your will and to your intent use us for your glory and be glorified in our lives and through our lives as we seek to live for you and be you in this earth we give you thanks in jesus name amen have a great day now my friends and do remember that god loves you and i do too shalom <laughs>